so much, Terry, and our praise, of course, our praise band and singers, and our choir, even though they're separated um, by all that distance, God bless them for coming and being there, and uh, that's as full as it can get with the uh, social distancing. But Terry figured it all out, spaced them on out. And it's all good. Good to see you this morning. If you're watching on the simulcast, thank you. We're glad you're joining us this morning. Today's message has a lot to do with the times we're living in. message comes from a passage in 1 John chapter 3. God is the God of hope. Names like little Bubba had some issues regarding hope. And uh, he was standing at the bottom of the escalator. One of the sales clerks there kept looking over and seeing him just staring at that handrail and thought this little guy is probably lost, waiting for someone to come down there, doesn't know exactly what to do. So she watches a little bit further, a little bit further. Finally, she just walks over and just gets down a little bit and says, Son, are you lost? No, ma'am, little Bubba replied. I'm just waiting for my chewing gum to come back around. (laughs) See, I saved some of the worst ones, even for these times, right? Bottom line is you can define hope in many, many different ways. But today, because of some of the things taking place in our world and hearing some of the statistics that are available to us, we learn that particularly in millennials and Gen Z, there's a lot of issues going on regarding depression and frustration. You see, if there's no future, people lose hope. We're believers. We have a future. But statistics tell us that the suicide rate, even among that generation, is just up exponentially. I've heard different stats on it, but I have not checked them out. But they're they're alarming. Um, You can look at it yourself and see what's taking place. The interviews that I've seen by people that are doing such research, say they don't have hope for the future. You see, if this is all you have down here, if all you have is the earth, you just don't have very much, do you? Do you? So today we go into this passage, the great hope of salvation. And today I pray if you've had to go through a little time of some of that funkiness that can happen, and we can all go through it, all experience it, you can look at different issues, and kind of pull you down a little bit. I want you to be encouraged. Our God is the God of hope. Today's message from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3, we'll break it down verse by verse. The privilege of God's love, starting in verse 1. Verse 1, the privilege of God's love. It says in 1 John 3, 1, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. A whole lot there. Stay with me. We're going to be machine gunning through a lot of this today because there's an awful lot there. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us? Have you ever thought about it? God, the God of the universe, has lavished great love on us. It's good to be loved, isn't it? Right? Isn't it good to be loved as opposed to being hated? That's a good deal. We're privileged people. We are certainly privileged that God loves us. In fact, I was thinking just uh, earlier this morning when Terry was going through that motif of God's greatness, how great thou art and how great is our God. I was just out there uh, cutting the grass, cutting the weeds, I mean the grass yesterday. 
And during that time, many times it's a great time for me. You get done with a row and it's done. Isn't that cool? I begin to think, you know what? The second you cut it, it's starting to grow again, isn't it? Amazing, isn't it? How did that happen? I'm looking out there and I'm seeing some butterflies just fluttering around. I thought, who could design a butterfly? If you've ever picked up one that's expired, they're almost imperceptibly heavy. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? You can't even feel them. They have beautiful colors. They land on the flowers. I'm watching a couple of cardinals. You'll see that bright red followed by mama, who's not usually far behind. When you see cardinals, you never see one. There's always two. Look around. You'll always see another one. Am I right? The female and the male are going together. I was looking at the trees. There's a black walnut tree, and that's producing fruit and watching it all happen. And I thought to myself, as simple as all that is, and it's only a few things, God, I don't know how great you are. I don't know how great you are to put all this together. That and a trillion other things that work simultaneously put right in front of our face. No wonder God told us in Romans 1.20, the invisible things of God are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made so that man's without excuse. We are privileged people, the privilege of God's love. What does it mean? It's good for us as believers in Jesus Christ to dwell on this for a moment or two. What does it mean having being under the privilege of God's love? First of all, it means that God cares for us and looks after us. He just doesn't do it an hour a day, two hours a day, or five minutes. Who's looking after you 24 hours a day? Any human being that looks after you 24 hours a day? Now, maybe we have some folks that are under a certain kind of care, but even they're not right in front of the person. God cares and looks after us 24 hours a day when you're sleeping, when you're up, when you're out there walking around and working, even when you're not cognizant uh, at that moment of what he's doing, he is doing it. What a great, great thing. It means that God cares for us and looks after us. This passage in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all, I love that word all right there, all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's why. There's some people that will listen to you for money. And it's a vocation. They've been through education, and they'll listen to you for money. Am I right? And some of you friends, you'll listen to someone else. And some of you have people you come connected with. And sometimes some people never seem to have a good day, right? It's raining soup, and they run out there with a fork and complain, right? There's just some way that people find something, some negative thing to do. And when the world who doesn't have Jesus Christ has anxiety or worries, where do they go? Who do you talk to? What are you going to fix? You see, if this is utopia down here and utopia is not going your way, what happens? Ladies and gentlemen, this is not utopia down here now. Heaven's uh, in a different way, in a different place. This is the fallen earth. Don't expect perfection down here. But seek to bring the kingdom of God down here. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What a blessed thing that that God I talked about a minute ago that created all those things cares for us. It's a privilege to be under God's love. Secondly, it's a great privilege. God's love means that we're delivered 
from the coming judgment of God's holy wrath. One day, we will leave this earth. And there's, there's anyone have another way out? There's only one way out, right? The mortality rate, I've said many times among humanity, is 100%, right? It happens. But the bottom line is, we're delivered from the coming judgment of his holy wrath. We'll not be there for the, uh, the judgment of destruction of the damned. Because, not because of who we are, not because we go to church. I know some will be watching today. And thank you, some of our guests that have been watching and watching along and, and some that are here today, to hear. It's not because we go to church or we're good people. Heaven's not for good people. It's one of the biggest misconceptions in all of religion. Heaven is for perfect people. And since no one is perfect, that's why Jesus Christ came. If Jesus Christ has never made sense to you, listen, this is why he came. He came to do something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. If we could be good enough to earn our way to heaven, he would have just let us stay with all the 700 plus laws in the Old Testament. Follow all these, you'll be okay. But you see, heaven is not just a better version of earth. Because if you get people up there with a sin nature, what do you think is going to happen? Listen, you can trust us. We've evolved for all these years. We'll live in a great, sinless, and peaceful society. How is that working? Hmm? Right? Bottom line is, we're delivered from the coming judgment. And in that judgment, those that have rejected the greatest act of love in the universe, where God came to this earth, came to a cradle, went to a cross, bled and suffered and died and rose from the tomb three days later, he offers eternal life as a gift. We can't pay for our own sins, but the perfect God of the universe did. And friend, what we believe here is Christ paid our way to heaven. We can't earn it by God's grace, which means his undeserved mercy. He paid our way into heaven. That's how we can go. We're saved from holy wrath. The wrath of God, where people will be drug away to a place where whatever else hell is, I do not know. But it's the rejection and living with the idea you rejected the greatest act of love in all of eternal history. You didn't have to go to hell, but because of what you rejected, you'll end up there forever in torment where the worm never dies. That's the turning of this regret. Romans 5, 9 says, Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Aren't you glad you're saved from God's wrath? You see, many times that's left out of sermons, left out of denominations and churches, because that's not a comfortable thing to talk about, God's wrath. What kind of a God is that? He's a perfect God. He's got perfect love, but it presupposes that if there's perfect love, there must be perfect wrath. God must hate sin. And God hated it so much, he took the judgment for sin upon himself. That's how much he hated it. God won't send you to hell, friend, but you'll send yourself there by rejecting what he has done. You see, the great privilege of God's love means God cares for us and looks after us. Secondly, it means that we're delivered from the coming judgment. Thirdly, that we should be called children of God. Think about it. You know yourself when no one else is looking. You understand what you're about, some of the thoughts you've had, some of the things that may not be too, too good, right? Let me ask you something. Would you adopt yourself? right? That we should be called. How great is this love God lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That God says, I've seen you. I've watched you. I've seen every thought. And you know what? 
by my grace and my mercy, I'm going to adopt you into my family. It's actually a legal term. We become the children of God. I've said it last service. I've said it before. I'm going to say it right here. There's times when my children, particularly in their teen years, that I wish they did not have my last name. I'm not and I, like I, I wish it was Smith or Jones at those times because you can kind of get. No, that's not my Jones or Geratelli. That's it. You've got to own it. Is that mafia name that belonged to them? But God says, I will be your heavenly father. The supreme master and curator of the entire universe calls us his children. Didn't know you were that rich, did you? But you are. It's the love of God that's given us the privilege of adoption. That's why we can be adopted, because of God's love. His love is unconditional love. It's overwhelming love, and he did that. You see, because we have this great privilege of God's love, it means that God cares for us. It means that we're delivered from wrath. It means that we're called the children of God. Here's the other news. No person becomes a child of God by their own merit or works. You can't say, God, am I good enough to be your child now? Because none of us are worthy of that. But God's grace, His undeserved mercy makes us that. So it's not by something we can do. So you don't have to jump over some hoop and say, oh, I wish I could make it. God has done it for us by His grace and by His mercy. His great love and the privileges of His love means He cares, means He delivers from wrath, means we're children of God, and means we have His grace what a gift. Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, why we were still powerless. Can you say powerless? Powerless. Christ died for really good church people. Is that what it says? It says Christ died for the ungodly. Now, most people, if I said, are you ungodly? They'd say, well, I, don't, I, I certainly don't think so. Maybe, maybe. It's not compared to someone else. We're ungodly because the source is God. We are ungodly. We are not like God, are we? He died for the ungodly. That's how good our God is. Next, keep looking. The great privilege of God's love. The love of God, it's amazing. We were the enemies of God. Most people don't think of themselves as an enemy of God, but we're the enemies of God. Look at the scripture passage found in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates, that means he shows us his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. It's amazing, isn't it? We were the enemies of the cross, the enemies of God. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. The reason the world does not know us is because they did not know him. Now, many people, many religions, many denominations know about God. Even atheists know about God. They know about Jesus. They could tell you some facts about Jesus. But the word of God tells us the reason the world does not know us is because it did not know him. And knowing him is understanding why he came, his mission, his purpose, the things that involved him coming to this earth, if you miss that, then you miss the whole thing. You miss the most significant part of Jesus, the, the, why, the reason why Jesus came, the reason how he acted out of his love was to show us his love and demonstrate it on the cross. That's why he came, to do something for me and for you we couldn't do for ourselves. You can't earn heaven. It's God's gift. 
and the world doesn't understand that. Therefore, they see Jesus as a good moral person, as an example, and he is a good, he's God, he's perfectly moral, and he did give an incredible example of all that he asked us to do, but that's not why he came. He could have written that. He came when it says he demonstrated his love. When you look at the cross, you have to see, oh my goodness, look at that demonstration. The, the perfect dying for the imperfect. The sinless dying for the sinner. Reason the world doesn't know us, didn't know them. So you and I are misunderstood. The other reason we're misunderstood is because we say Christ is the only way. Because our Savior said he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. Why does he make that claim? Because, ladies and gentlemen, think about it. Think about it. Who else died and paid for your sin? Did anyone else do that for you? Our worldview from the Bible teaches that Christ did that for us. It's the best news in the world. You can't earn it, you receive it. That's the best news in the world, period. So they don't know him. They know about him. Our job is to help them to know him, not just know about him. So we have this great privilege of God's love that brings us all those wonderful things we just looked at. Secondly, we have the great hope and mystery of God's love found in verse 2. Dear friends, now, now, now we are the children of God. You don't have to wait to become that. You're already adopted. And what we will be has not yet been made known. Pastor, how old will I be when I go to heaven? How much will I weigh? How tall will I be? Do I have different color eyes in heaven? Do you eat in heaven? Will my dog be in heaven? Will my cat be in heaven? Well, some of them may be in the other place. No, I'm just kidding. We don't know uh, what we will be that has not been made known. Because who could comprehend it? If God could tell you, could you comprehend it anyway? You see, I can't even understand some of the things I read about medically. It's just not fitting in my head. But, it says, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Now think about this. The great privilege of God's love, what did it do? It did for us something called an eternal transformation. It transformed us. This great privilege of God's love now is what the word of God. So we know what we are now, but we what? We know that when he appears, we should be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There will come a time when it will be revealed. We can't comprehend it now. We can't comprehend eternity. We can't understand all that heaven is about. I just know God that figured out the wings of a hummingbird, figured out what age, what weight, what all those things. And some of it may not even matter in heaven, will it? Will it? I don't know. It's heaven. And if God figured out all that we can see and we're blown away with it, how good is the perfect heaven going to be? I'm telling you. What a great thing. You see, God is the God of hope. We have an eternal transformation because of the love of God, the privilege of God's love and the great hope of God's love, the present hope of salvation. One, what does it bring us? First of all, it brings us divine peace. We have hope. Romans 5.1, therefore I have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is unconditional. You don't make peace with God by saying, I'm going to talk to the guy upstairs and make a deal with him. There is no deal to make with God. Not like God hadn't figured it out because we we haven't told him something. He figured it out to say, I love you. I created an innocent world. 
humanity has sinned, and I'm going to pay your way into heaven by what I will do because I am a God of unconditional love. I made you a free will being, and you sinned, but I'm merciful, I'm long-suffering, and I will redeem you. We've been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through a church, not through our own works, but through him. Now that's peace with God. The peace of God is a different thing. The peace of God is found in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which passes all our sin will guard your mind and heart in Christ Jesus. That's conditional. You have to do what that passage says or else you won't have the peace of God. Be anxious for nothing. You have to stop worrying and do what God says there. Right? Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. But peace with God, unconditional, period. So we have that peace that's found in the Word of God. That's what the present hope of salvation brings us. It brings us also divine power. Think about this. We have hope because we have divine power. Acts 1.8. Word of God says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That same word power there, we get a word dynamite from. And you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the ends of, all the ends of the earth. Think about this. Before internet, social media, television, radio, all these other things that connect people so easily now, they had none of it in the first century. Right? No telephone, no telegraph. All they had was teleperson, right? That's all they had. And they did. They turned the world upside down. God worked through them in a powerful way. That's the kind of power. That's the kind of power that still is alive and well in us. When we're willing to say, God, I'm going to put myself aside and I want your power to flow through me. And sometimes that power means power. You say, well, I don't know. I've never seen any kind of power like that with miraculous stuff. Have you ever kept your mouth quiet when you know you wanted to say something? That's probably more powerful than watching the Red Sea part, isn't it? I was going to tell him or her. To... Or have you ever seen your mouth open? You say, God, I can't believe I said that. I just stood up there for the right thing. Everyone was looking at me. All the eyes were focused on me when they asked, what do you think about this issue? And you spoke the truth. Praise God. That's the power we have. You see, God says, because of this great hope we have, we have divine peace. In Romans 5, 1, we have divine power because of Acts 1, 8. And we have a divine mission. Many people in life don't have, their only mission in life is temporal. It's going to fade away and get gone because it's the nature of life. But Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Well, what happens, Pastor, if Things get worse next month. What happens if I lose my job next month? What happens if my biopsy uh, comes back and says I only have six months to live? What happens? Your mission still remains the same till you leave the earth. There's the mission. It doesn't have any caveat for me or you in there. It's the same mission because of the great hope of salvation. We have divine peace, we have divine power, we have a divine mission, and we have divine guidance. Look at this passage in John 16, 13. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and will tell you what is yet to come. We have divine guidance. Like I said, you can spend a whole lot of money paying someone to listen to you. And many times we need to do that. 
But God is there to guide us in some of those decisions, some of the most intimate decisions in life. God is there to give us that kind of guidance. We not only have divine peace, divine power, divine mission, divine guidance, we have divine comfort. Word of God tells us we have a comforter. Sometimes, you know, there's all different kinds of food, but I like that word that's called comfort food. What is your comfort food? Hmm? Fried chicken. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's one right there. Some may have said, Mike, well, I comfort dessert. I like banana pudding or that coconut almond chocolate ice cream or whatever. Comfort food, mac and cheese, whatever it is. Because it brings you comfort, all right. But, you know, through the lips and on the hips. That's, I guess, what they say. That's where a lot of that goes. But Acts 9.31 Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. Why? It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Notice that growth is a result of being strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. There's a time of peace. Churches that are fighting, churches that have infighting, and people, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? Listen, many times there's a multiple amount of ways to do something. But there's only a select few God calls to say, lead out in this. And so sometimes rather than finding the other way or thinking, have you ever thought about this or done it that way? Time just better just to say, God, I just want to be a follower. How can I be the best one I can be? The church was at peace. They enjoyed a time of peace and strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And it grew. More churches would practice that. What a time we'd have. Divine comforter, he brings comfort. Not only that, some of you right in this room right now have experienced some very hard times in life. Some are in a grieving process right now. Only God's comfort through his promises and through his spirit can bring about something that you can hold on to and that will last. Yes, God is the God of hope. He gives us divine peace, divine power, divine mission, divine guidance, divine comfort, and a divine family. That's why I like being in here. I like looking out and seeing faces. We have a divine family. I would tell you, over the course of my life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and some of the people in this room, treat me as well as if I was blood family and some even better. That's right. What a blessing that is to have a divine family. And God gave us that. Look at the scripture. It said in Luke 18, 29, 30, I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. You got family. What a big family. Aren't you glad you don't have to, not everyone's on your Christmas list, right? We have a big family here because we're believers, because we have the same father. God Almighty. Only do we have a divine family, we have divine gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 tell us that every believer has gifts. You may think, well, what, how important am I in the kingdom of God? If God gave you a gift, that means you're meant to use it. Whatever that gift. And many have multiple gifts. But he equips the church with gifts because if someone's not practicing that gift, say, of just mercy, of long-suffering, Maybe someone has the gift of encouragement and they give some encouragement to someone because they heard a prayer request or know of something. 
And that person that gets encouraged, instead of having a rotten day, has a great day. They say, God, thank you for bringing comfort to me and encouragement through that person. And that person at work, as opposed to losing it or being apathetic, speaks out for God. What a great difference. And that person who speaks out for God, maybe someone in that office or that school, decides they're going to look further into Christianity. You see, everybody matters and all your gifts matter. God wouldn't have given them to you if he didn't think you'd need them or want to use them. We have divine peace, divine power, divine mission, divine guidance, divine comfort, and a divine family along with the divine gifts. You are important in the kingdom of God. Use those gifts. We also have divine fruit. Word of God tells us in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Divine fruit. God, I just need to be more patient. I just need to be more loving. No. I understand what you mean. You already have all the love, all the patience, all the long-suffering you'll ever need living inside of you and living inside of me. The issue is not saying, give me, i got to need more of that. Well, this must have happened. I prayed for more patience. Really? Do you think the Holy Spirit of God doesn't have enough patience? It's living. He is living inside of you. What we need to pray is, God, help me not to grieve the Spirit. So I'll let that flow through me. Let me not cut off the supply of that so it's not coming out. That's the real prayer. Not God, give me more. God, let me be more obedient to let you flow through me. Let it not be about me, but be about you. Then we watch fruit happen. Then it begins to fly and come on out. What a blessing that is. We also have a divine listener because of the hope of salvation. All the wonderful things through this hope of salvation. Where did you get a divine listener? Where does the word of God say God's a divine listener? In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, here's a good one to memorize. Pray continually. Right? So you can say, it came to the service today, we learned how to uh, memorize the verse. Many times it will say, pray without ceasing. What that presupposes. If God is saying, talk to me continually, it presupposes he's listening continually. Would anyone listen to you continually throughout the day? Hmm? Some of you get worn out just by a person, right? Because there's never a good day for them, right? Some of us can get worn out with that. And some people are in the process. Don't get me wrong. We all are. But God says, I want to listen to you continually. And I want to talk to you. Wow. A divine listener presupposes God is listening to us. We also have a divine shepherd. I love this. You see, shepherds were charged to take care of the flock. And there were good shepherds, average shepherds, and bad shepherds in Jesus' time. No doubt today. The divine shepherd is found in Psalm 23. Also found in the book of John where Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd actually has good in, in the emphatic, adjectival positions. I am the shepherd, the good one. I don't run when some trouble comes. When the wolves are around, when the thieves are there, I'm there to protect the sheep. And I'm also there to lead you to still waters and green grass. I'll lead you to nourishment that you can't even believe because I'm the good shepherd. I know what you need for your soul. I know what you need for your life. 
And I will lead you there because I am the divine shepherd that will lead you to the place where you need to be. Wow. Why? Because of the present hope of salvation. We have the kinds of things we can't imagine. We have divine peace, divine power, divine mission, divine guidance, divine comfort, divine family, divine gifts, divine fruit, a divine listener, a divine shepherd, and a divine body. Now, if you're under 25 years old, this won't make as much sense to you. But one day, if you keep breathing... Your body will not be able to do what it's able to do now. What do you mean? Well, there were some things that I could do that I find I didn't even give it a thought. Mowing the lawn, painting, or just working out there in the yard, or even sitting a certain way for a while. Right? It's pathetic, isn't it? Get up and and say, I'm supposed to straighten up. What happened? Your body betrays you. It's getting older. And everyone is in the dying process. It's not more, but it's just the truth. Don't dwell there. I'm dying today, little by little. Well, fortunately, Jesus said, He that believes in me will never what? Die. But we have a divine body that's coming. I like that. What does it look like? Well, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. Many times, some of you that have been to my committal service after a celebration of life service have heard me teach from this passage because I don't want that to be a blow-off service at the cemetery. It's worth saying, and I love to watch some of the funeral directors, some of the perhaps friends or family that are there, they're not connected to Jesus because I say this, make this statement. I said, this is not this person's final resting place. They kind of, you know, you want to get people's attention? Say that. It says, he's going to come back and dig this person up later. What, is this man crazy? What is he talking about? No, it says in that same passage that a trumpet's going to blow and the dead in Christ are going to be raised. Well, how could, you know, come on. People died 2,000 years ago. Their ashes, people get cremated. People have drowned. They've eaten by things. Where, how can God do that? Dear friend, you don't believe in the God of the Bible. See, the God of the Bible created the atom. And God knows where every atom of you exists all the time. How does he keep track of that? Don't ask me. There's so many stars that they guesstimate, and they think there's even more, that is 24 followed by 23 zeros. What's that number? I've written it down. It's crazy. God keeps track of every atom he created, and he's kept kept track of me and of you. When you leave this earth, when you stop breathing on the earth, your spirit goes to be with God, absent from the body, present with the Lord. This is only an earth suit. It's a shell. It's a shell. The real nuts inside. (laughs) This is a shell. We leave this shell. Our spirit goes to be with our Lord Jesus Christ in a perfect place called heaven. Then one day, God will reunite our body with our spirit. Why do you need a spirit, up th- uh, your body up there if God's already got us in heaven? Well, during the curse of the earth, the Bible doesn't tell us with specificity, but here's what I believe. I believe the Bible teaches that we had a fall in the garden. In that fall, Satan had his way. Death entered this world. Sin entered this world. The world became cursed, and our body started to do what it's doing right now. I look at my hands and say, that's my father's hands when he was old. 
like 35. But he's not 35 and I'm not either. What happens? The process came in. We have disease, sickness, pandemics. Something that's crazy that happens is God says, I'm going to reverse that. Satan had his way. I not only want your spirit, I want your body. He can't even have one atom of you. I'm going to bring that back. And I'm going to reverse that curse. Satan gets none of you, not even an atom, not even your body. I'm going to show my God power over all of that. And so God gives us his present hope of salvation. Church, listen, we have divine peace, divine power, divine mission, divine guidance, divine comfort, divine family, divine gifts, divine fruit, divine listener, divine shepherd. And we have this divine body we'll get one day. And no, I don't know how tall, short, wide, whatever, what kind of food in heaven. Is there food in heaven? Is your don't know all that. God's got all that figured out. He's pretty smart, isn't he? He's got it figured out. And he'll take care of it. Why is all this? We have, of course, the privilege of God's love. We have this present hope of salvation coming from God's love. And we have the incentive of God's love. It's found in verse 3. Everyone who has this hope. Do you have this hope? Good. Yes, I'm hearing the yes out there. It's okay. Right? It's okay. Just yell it on out. The incentive of God's love is purity. Everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you have this hope of the things we've talked about, and there's exponentially more found in the word of God. I've covered a number of them, but not all, not exhaustive. Everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Bring up that next passage. You see, it says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. One of the things the world has lost that we need to model is reverence for God. We can be, get so familiar with God, and in the best sense of that, that's great but not so familiar that we lose reference that, what, first of all, what God has done for us through the cross and just his sheer power and his sheer greatness. We sing how great thou art. And sometimes we can lose scope of the fact of just how great God is and the fact is none of us know how great God is. When we see him, we should be like him, for we shall see him as he is. One day we will know. And you know what? He's so great. He's so awesome that it will take forever to get the praise out of our mouths to our God. That's one reason I believe heaven's forever. We'll never exhaust it. We should be pure because of what it is. We get rid of these contaminants in our body and our spirit, perfecting or completing holiness out of reverence for God. Why do you act like that? Out of reverence for God. That's the motive. You want to get rid of some habits of sin and wrong things? Do it out of reverence for God. Get the contaminants out of your body. The incentive of God's love, of course, is purity. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What a great thing God has done for us. And that he's given us this great hope. Our God is a God of hope. In the world, there's a lot of hopelessness, isn't there? say there's people that make a lot of wrong decisions every day. They don't have hope. But God has given us hope. And I pray that through something God brought through the Holy Spirit into your life today, 
If you've experienced just a little bit of that funk, that you're brought back as we are as a church and as a body and as believers in Jesus to the Word of God, and look at some of those things we have coming. This life goes by fast. Word of God says life is like a vapor. It says life is like a flower. Here today withers tomorrow. The vapor you see for a second, then it's gone. Listen, use it while you can. It goes fast. Use it while you can. Hang on to that hope. It's not a hope like I hope, and it may not happen. It's the hope of assurance. All the things that we talked about today is the assurance of what God has already said. That's my future and your future. And I pray you hang on to that and you thank our great God for what he's done. Bow your heads as we pray today. Lord God, as we come to the conclusion of this service right now, we're mindful of the fact that the world can be a hope stealer. And many people that don't have you in this world, the only hope they have is to have a utopia right down here. We want to thank you for the 11 different issues that come out of the hope of salvation and countless more. We thank you for the privilege of your love, God. Forgive us when we don't acknowledge that. We thank you for the hope that's found in salvation. We thank you that the motive for all of that is to be pure for you, getting contaminants out of our lives so we can live to be an honest and truthful witness for you. So God, bless these dear people who are watching today and those who are here listening, God, and I pray that even this next week, When things want to creep back in, we'll go back and reflect on your word and we'll find our hope is based in the eternal truth. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. A word or two before you are dismissed. First of all, Life Plus starting up on September 13th. It'll be a study, I don't know if it's timely or not, the book of Revelation, okay? The book of Revelation, you'll want to be a participant in that. We'll have further instruction and details about that, but it'll be on a Sunday afternoon on the 13th. Be looking for that. It's going to be a great, great study. Secondly, as we're dismissed, we'll be dismissed row by row, starting in the back of the balcony, in the back of this room, and then uh, I'll dismiss you row by row. Help us out. When you get dismissed, if you would go directly to the parking lot, I know it's unnatural, Listen, you know me. I'm a touchy-feely guy. It's unnatural to go out there. You want to go out there, hug people, get a high five. But just if you go to the parking lot, it would really help everybody out. Keep the distancing in the park, in the the lobby and everything as you're going out. That's why we're doing it. We have great crews coming in here between services, still doing what they're doing. And God's working incredibly well. By the way, thank you for supporting this place in so many different ways. We're blessed that you continue to do that. Or I hear from some of the pastors that are just overwhelmed with everything else plus finances. Thank you for supporting what God is doing.